Welcome to the Great Lakes Golf Podcast, episode 10. Alongside Hunter Pulaski, I am Peter Garber. We are presented by Reed Furniture in Petoskey. Whatever your furniture need, it's Reed indeed. In today's episode, can you believe it? Phil Mickelson wins the PGA Championship a 300 to 1 long shot at the age of 50. We update you on what's going on in the world of Michigan golf, including talking about Ben Cook's phenomenal play over the weekend, full PGA Championship recap, preview of the Charles Schwab at Colonial, plus our gambling picks for the week, and we touch a little bit on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is in Chicago, playing at the Tom Fazio-designed Glen Club on the north side. Also, special bonus this week, if you can tell me exactly how many times I interrupt Hunter, I will give you a free used Pro-V for out of my golf bag. Let's go! Busy, uh, busy week. Busy, just kind of, obviously it's middle of May, so it's going to start to continue to be busy here for the next several months, but yeah, lots going on. Yeah, it's really a great, we have like an awesome calendar because this is a really, this is a really great event. Now the Charles Schwab, I mean, it's a great golf course and it gets, you know, like a a decent field, certainly a good field for the week after a major. So, and then we're going to be playing a U.S. Open here in what, like three weeks. So at Torrey, which is another course that I've played. So, um, that's really exciting. I love John Rahm there. I was actually looking at the odds this morning, but there, there's nothing. There's literally zero value there. What's he, um, what's he at early? It's like 10 or 11. <laughs> that sounds about right. Oh, there's like six or seven guys that are under 15 or 16, which to me is just like, okay, this is silly now. Even though Phil just won at 300. Can you believe he was 300 to one? I think so. Yeah, I think I can. Yeah, isn't that? I mean, he's he wasn't he was playing terrible. This is what's fun about gambling on golf. Like, how silly! First of all, who was holding a Phil Mickelson ticket, and how silly did you feel on Wednesday or whatever when you had that and you thought this is just holding money up in one hand a lighter in the other and just torching it. And then he not only plays great, like how many people cash their fill tickets between Thursday and Sunday thinking at some point he's going to screw this up. I think only an insane person would not cash out Phil's ticket on Saturday night. An insane person, only an insane person would not. Yeah, well, how, would you, how could you not cash that ticket out if you're you couldn't you wouldn't be able to sleep if you had a fill ticket? I actually an I saw insanely smart person, an insanely smart person, Hunter, because they were right. They were right from whatever you whatever thoughts in their beautiful mind gave them the idea to get a Phil Mickelson ticket. I hope. There's at least a few people out there that rode it all the way to the finish line because let me just say you don't hit 301 tickets in majors unless it was maybe like Ben Curtis at the British. Like Charles Schwartzel, I don't think was 301 when he won at Augusta. So it no. just doesn't happen. No. No, and, and I – like you hate to like jump – was that the, the most memorable – 
championship in the last 40 years? 50, like, where does that stack up to it? Just given the no fact way, that because he was 50. He was, so, he was a 300 to 1. It, it is Phil Mickelson who obviously has had uh, an illustrious career, very, very, and he's a very popular, popular player on tour. Where does, does this, are we getting getting ahead of ourselves even asking this or where where does this stack up? Let's get to that in a minute because I think we should just quickly run through, do our, do our update for Michigan guys, and then we have so much to cover on the PGA side. Sorry, I started rambling there about Phil for a second, but I do want to try to follow the script as best we can. So, well, I'm going to start, let's start away from the PGA and then go into the PGA. So, um, Joey Garber made another, you know, had a, was in contention, had a sort of decent shot. The guy that uh, ended up winning kind of pulled away a little bit. So he was never really that close, but he was in second alone, tie for second for much of the day on Sunday. I think he ended up in a tie for sixth or something like that. So he seems to be in really good form. He's not playing this week. I might touch on the Corn Ferry a little later because I've, as I had mentioned on the podcast last week, I played the golf course that they're playing this week. It's here in Chicago. It's only 25 minutes from my house, and I do have some picks, even though the books haven't released any. I haven't seen any Corn Ferry odds from DraftKings or Bet Rivers down here yet. Um, do you ever see Corn Ferry odds? How often? How often are they giving out Corn Ferry odds? Every week. Every week. Am I? Is FanDuel letting me down here? They might be, yeah. Son, yeah. son of a gun. I mean, there's a limited market for it, but I think that odds makers come out ahead more times than not when gamblers like myself are, are betting on a developmental tour. Though I will say, I held a 66 to 1 ticket for Joey last week, and that did, even though he bogeyed the last hole, that did hit in each way at that tie for six, which wasn't much because. It wasn't a huge wager, but it was enough for me to get my money back and then a little bit. So I have I have a couple good picks for this week, and I know that course pretty well. I haven't played there a couple times, so I feel like I have it. Any player can excel there, but I have a couple guys in mind who I think can do really well. Um, Stewart is back in action this week. He did not play in the PGA Championship, so I think he's, a, he's like 200 to 1, I think, at Colonial. Charles Schwab. Um, I haven't checked on Brem. I don't think he's playing this week. I'll check that and, and maybe include it in the notes there at the end. But uh, more importantly, there's been a lot going on <clears throat> locally. Like we've seen some incredible rounds from some young kids up north. Uh, and then there was Michigan felt like it was really not necessarily front and center, but kind of like a, uh, a bit of a side story with much of what was going on at the PGA. So I'll let you touch on that stuff. Yeah, so just uh, a couple things to touch on from a from a very local standpoint. The from a PJ Maybank, who we've we've talked about before, uh, Sheboygan Sheboygan sophomore. Uh, he just took home medalist honors at. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever had the luxury of playing it, uh, Thunder Bay Resort Golf Course over in Hillman. We were always at Alpine Country Club. I'm not sure about you. Might have been golf club, but I. Okay, I I the first. Alpena Country Club was the first high school tournament I ever played when they finally let me play as a freshman because there were upperclassmen 
who had been on varsity or whatever, and they were going to play me, mm-hmm. which I, which I was pissed about granted because I was 15 or whatever, but then they put me on varsity and I'm like, Oh, I better play well. I shot 99 <laughs> at Alpena country club, which is an easy golf course. <laughs> and I'm just glad I wasn't playing Thunder Bay because I'm sure I would not have broken a hundred. Right? Isn't that course kind of hard? I that's I've never played it. Never had the luxury of playing it. Thank uh always played at Alpena. I always played at Alpena Country Club or Golf Club, whatever it is. Never but I've 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 heard <laughs> I've heard nothing but bad things. Never I've never heard a good thing about nobody nobody's shooting high praise to Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay Resort Golf Course. Did you ever play Black Bear back in the day? Uh, I have a hole in one at Black Bear, actually. Number, uh, what's that uphill part three on the backside after that? You do not. Yeah. You have a hole in one on that hole? Yep. Yeah, whatever. Over that. by the road? Yeah. After the par five that goes, has like a really steep slope up to the green. Yeah, my uh, my dad and I went and played there be my eighth grade when I was eighth, when, uh, eight, before, somewhere before freshman year of high school. Unbelievable. How many hole in ones do you have? Two. Got the other one a month earlier of that same year. No way. Yeah, I don't have any more. Wow, what a ball striking summer for you, huh? Eighth grade. <laughs> no, what a ball striking like twenty eight days after <laughs> and really accumulated down to two days because it only took two shots actually. Yeah. Well you took advantage then then you just made the most of your good shots. It's actually funny. So I, I've always said we're gonna get really sidetracked here, but I've always said that it's actually easier for somebody that hit a a less solid ball to make a hole in one because you take the spin out of it. So a lot of times like you see um, This is how you rationalize not having a hole in one no, since not necessarily, you're in because the that one that we're just talking about, Black Bear, I scald I scald the shit out of it. Scald it so bad, but it took <laughs> it takes like the bounces and then it starts to roll rather than having to decide like how the how the spin is going to affect the so I, i've always said that i think that's i i think i'm gonna stand by that take i don't know what your thoughts are but i think it's yeah just- no if you hit it good you're gonna hit it closer to the hole a much higher percentage of the time and therefore you're gonna have many more opportunities for the ball to go in the hole so i find your stance on this to be highly unscientific and more of a personal rationalization for why you have not hit any hole in ones in the past decade I think you're you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I think <laughs> hitting it hitting it lower with a lower trajectory where there's less spin on the ball and still getting it closer, rather no, than I, having more trust spin me, on the I ball under- higher. I understand exactly what you're saying better than most because I have a trash hole in one. <laughs> I bladed it. The only reason it got more than ten feet off the ground is because it was an elevated tee. <laughs> So I'm right there with you, dude. I have the weird distinction of having two hole in ones on the same hole. Oh, oh, uh, number 10, right? My only two. <laughs> so I really need that third one to kind of validate myself. <laughs> That's not a um, hole to have it on. Anyway, so did you say, so they played at Thunder Bay. Yeah, they played at Thunder Bay. He shot 74, um, a a one over uh a one over 74 so i always love par 73 golf courses i have to i always have to make mention of that uh and then uh another high school player we keep i don't know what's i, I was telling peter to peter and i were talking yesterday these kids are really making me and him not feel great about our games because there's a kid from charlevoix uh jake i'm gonna 
destroy this. Bowden. Bowden. Jake Bowden. Bowden. Uh, Charlevoix Sr. Uh, just shot a, shot a career low last week at a Lake Michigan Conference match at the Moore. Over Better be a career low. <laughs> yeah. uh, he shot 64. So, I mean, an unbelievable score. The Moore is not is not an easy golf course. There's definitely some trouble. Uh, I have no idea what, what yards they were playing from. I'm sure I'm telling myself so I can sleep at night that they were playing it from like way up. It was it was like a, a rain soaked tournament, a lot of shortened holes, but uh awesome score for Jake. Uh yeah, it's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. Have you ever shot sixty four? No, no. Uh sixty five is as low as I've ever gotten. Yeah, no, it's I've not never a golf shot course anything like lower. I've never shot anything lower than sixty six, and I don't think I've broken par at the more. Maybe once or twice. No, I've shot in the I've shot around par, but there's some holes out there that can really bite you. Oh, definitely. Like, um, there's hazards everywhere. You have to be hitting the ball pretty straight off the tee, especially on the backside, or you could find yourself in some. Um, yeah, it doesn't particularly situations. matter what club you're hitting off the tee, but you better be you better hit it straight. Yeah. So uh, once again, awesome uh, by Jake. That's a yeah, that's amazing. Really good score for somebody in high school. Uh, well, any any you could be any age you want. It's your sixty four. I'll be impressed. Uh, so, does that inspire you to play better golf, or does it make you just want to quit the game? <laughs> <laughs> I sixty four is so far off my radar because that would require me to have to hole out eight times, I or not eight times, four times for eagles because I can't make putts. So like I, I'm sixty four is so far down the road for me. I can well I read yeah the difference I read between like some, a sixty nine and a sixty four for me right now is so much more than five shots. It might as well be a hundred shots because it the, would take so it different. would take a miracle. And you know it's funny I read Jake's comments because the Potosky News had an article about him, and he's he mentioned I mean he said like oh, yeah I played I I played well obviously. Um, but he said he mentioned specifically that his put- he got a hot putter, and like, when's the last time you would characterize yourself as having had a hot putter over the course of eighteen holes? Summer two thousand seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe sixteen. There was actually there was one year. It was when uh, first year Norm was a member. That was four years ago. So yeah, four summer two thousand seventeen. Yeah, made everything. <laughs> Nothing. Well, good for Jake. He is hopefully you can still shoot sixty four when you're Hunter and I's age, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's awesome. It's a great accomplishment. Yeah, and then uh, one more thing from a from a really local guy. Uh, we mentioned his name either last episode, or the episode before. Alex Scott, uh, the Grand Valley graduate who Monday into the uh, Corn Ferry event. It must have been last week. Uh, he. Just made it through local qualifiers down in Ohio for the U.S. Open, down at, uh, I'm not sure if you ever played it, Kinsale uh, Golf and Fitness Club. Uh, he shot, uh, he was T5 with a 71. So I'm, it's, right now it's it's tough to see where he's going to go for sectionals. Looks like there's probably, there's two, there's one in Springfield, Ohio, and another one in Ohio too. So I suspect that he'll, he'll try to get through in one of those venues, but it's, it's uh, to be determined. So uh, once again, I, I saw something. Uh, there's a, a Twitter account. I think it's like Monday Q School. 
something something like that or Monday 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 qualifier. Um, Alex in his last five starts has Mondayed in, uh, missed Mondays by one, uh, missed in a playoff by one, Mondayed in, and then made it through locals of U.S. Open his last five weeks. So he is he's obviously trending in the right. Uh, right direction for it being may 25th i suspect he'll have a pretty good summer yeah it's awesome he's playing great right now so yeah. hopefully can keep him going so how many more rounds of qualifying to get through i was under the impression mean, just given the given the time frame and they've only played two sectionals um so far i i suspect this is this is the spot to get in i think if you make it through is there one more is there so one? they're only taking like one guy from each of these sectionals then and I will double check that and put in corrections if uh, if it warrants it. But I I'm pretty sure it's it's just locals and then sectionals, and then um, they take one or two yeah one guy from sectionals, two guys from sectionals. It's pretty funny looking at some of those. You ever looked at one of those sectional leaderboards? Stay in school, kids. Absolutely, stay in school. Yeah, yeah. You would have had to play against Adam Scott last year. Yeah. He qualified for the U.S. Open just like Hunter and I would have to. That's how good he is. He's like, oh, I don't have an invitation. I'm not in this tournament. Let me just go down to Kinsale Golf and Fitness, fire 65, head on up the road a couple hours, shoot another 65. Oh, I'll just play my way into the tournament. A couple big names. That actually, it's funny you mentioned that. A couple big names that are uh... – in Dallas right now, there's a sectional. Scott Pierce is on the top of that leaderboard, so obviously a borderline household name. And then uh, Rio Ishikawa, am I saying that? I think I am from uh, Japan. Bro. Yeah, yeah, uh, just qualified via that sectional for the U.S. Open. So uh, it is interesting to see these guys that we've heard their names for so long, and then they're playing in the the same qualifier that I suspect. We'll see PJ's name, Jake's name, and we see Alex Scott's name. So it's kind of funny to see. That's really all. I, that's really all I have about uh, regarding really close to close to home Michigan guys. So uh, I'll keep an eye. PJ and Jake should have state state play coming up here pretty soon um, between regionals and, and state finals, and then I'll keep an eye on Alex to see uh, what's he, what what he is uh, doing in sectionals. And then we also had a lot of, like I said, Michigan was part of the storyline on the big stage at the uh, PGA Championship at Kiowa because Ben Cook <laughs> is really good, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he is. He. When like, we, did you when know who just... this guy was before this tournament? That's a name. I know where... we mentioned him, but were you aware of how, how his skill level? Uh, I think I'd be lying if I said I was aware of his skill level. I've I've heard his name um, throughout the years. Just just being, he went to Ferris. Um, I I don't think he's much older than he's somewhere between you and I in age. Maybe like I don't have an exact. I want to say he's twenty eight, maybe. Um, so I've I've heard his name, but he was um, he was absolutely sensational from from start to finish. He he struggled a little bit on. Um, was that Friday? He shot a seventy-seven. I think he did not. Uh, we didn't play great on Sunday either, right? 74, 74 on Sunday, but but on Saturday 
he was wasn't he too, he was in the clubhouse at what was his finishing position and i know he played with webb over the weekend i think that was on maybe on saturday but like that is i mean i can't i can't over it's impossible to overstate how big of an accomplishment that is he tied for 44th he shot rounds of 72 77 he shot 69 on saturday he shot 300 that was one of the better rounds of the day even though that was the day that the course kind of loosened up here's some of the guys that he beat Stricker, rory Kokrak, varner matt wallace my guy Joel Damon, Cam Davis, Cameron Smith, Henrik Stenson. I mean, I was just like totally blown away. And I would have to think that that, like he has to be just absolutely on cloud nine. And I sure hope he is and has just is so proud of what he did. I mean, he had the play, the tour players commenting on his skill level right didn't Webb like bring him up in the after his round yeah he did yeah so actually i have that quote right here so uh webs it looks like they must have played i sent this to you at 4 30 on saturday so i'm assuming they played saturday morning uh webs caddy said uh this guy how does he lose any tournaments he plays in he should be out here with us impressive so it, it's a good question i'm not sure i'm not sure how he can go to any um PGA of America professional um, club professional event and lose. I'm not, I'm, I, I don't, it doesn't really, it doesn't make much sense. Okay. Well, it is golf. Well, <laughs> Rory and DJ don't, and JT don't, and Bryson don't win every week. I mean, well, he's let's, not going to let's, let's not pretend there's, there's more parody in the professional club <laughs> tour than there is on the, the, um, Okay, fair, but I think PJ this Stewart. is for purposes of our podcast. I just want everyone to understand that we have nothing but positive to, things to say about Ben Cook or Benny Cook, whichever name he prefers, because I've seen it both ways. But you you don't have to win another club tournament the rest of your career if you if you don't club pro tournament if you don't want to, because you just uh, represented club pros everywhere and the state of Michigan in an awesome way over four days on a, on a national stage. Yeah, no. Uh, once again, I was, I was uh, blown away. And then uh, our other Michigan guy, um, Tim Pierce uh, from Birmingham Country Club shot 79-77. Um, so funny enough, I – I had just never like looked close enough at a screenshot or a, a headshot of Tim until yesterday morning, Monday morning. And I finally was like, I, I know Tim. I, I've Tim used to intern at Bay Harbor, uh, maybe like five years ago. Uh, yeah. About five years ago, probably now. <laughs> and I texted Peter and I was like, I, I know who Tim Pierce is. So I, I Tim is actually, uh, he just just uh, messaged me. Uh, we're gonna get Tim on the podcast here. Uh, most likely, it'll be on next episode, but potentially, we'll just 
put it in the middle of the week. Uh, he's going to hop on a phone call with us, uh, hopefully today or tomorrow, uh, just to talk about his experience. Uh, only 25 years old, uh, went to Ferris State, um, has ties to this area. Uh, like I said, he was he did intern um, at Bay Harbor uh, several years ago. Um, so yeah, we're just going to talk. We're going to get him on the phone, talk to him about his experience. Um, and, and he can tell us all about how Ben Cook played out of his mind, and you guys should see him on a regular week. He's not nearly that good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, will, we will have to have to ask him that and see what his thoughts are. But no, are you going to ask him? You could say, "Hey, Tim, how does Ben Cook ever lose a PGA tournament?" No, I'm only kidding. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to him. I want to hear about the ocean course. He obviously handled himself really well. I mean, like. I can't wait to ask him, were you nervous? Um, do the nerves ever, if you are nervous, do the nerves ever go away? Are you nervous the whole round? How different is it from playing in one of your other tournaments? Um, you know, it's just a unique experience, obviously, for those club pros. And that really is, that's what makes the PGA Championship special. You know, the venue makes Augusta special. The difficulty makes the U.S. Open special. The weather and the venues make the Open Championship special. What makes PGA Championship special is the club pros playing in the event. So to have this, you know, to have one of the guy, the guy that really pops representing that part of the field to be from Michigan and then have another guy from in the field from Michigan with ties to the area is awesome. So I'm really glad that you're able to get him on and hopefully everybody will enjoy that interview no i think we found I'm, I'm really curious to know just what his expectations were going into the week i mean obviously i'm just curious but i'd love to know i want to well, kept it out of the 80s i wonder if, and that's what I was, I was about to say i wonder if i feel like if i was ever in that spot like breaking just a couple scores in the 70s i mean 79 77 is awesome yeah yeah, he beat some like, champ by three. <laughs> so he beat some names. Yeah, I mean, like that's nothing to uh, hang your head about there. Not even close. No, God, no. All right, so let's get now that we've covered the Michigan stuff. Let's dive into some of the reaction to the PGA Championship. I know that Phil has been like hilarious on Twitter, and then you were saying before we went into the Michigan update. Do you think this is this was like the, the best championship or whatever the last, to me, it's not even close. Like I not absolutely know the greatest. I believe that what Faldo said when Tiger putted out, when he wanted Augusta, that will be the single greatest championship in the history of golf for as long as we are alive. Phil winning at 50 couldn't, light a candle to Tiger's win at Augusta. Like I, I felt overcome with emotion watching that scene, his kids being there, just everything that was packed into that championship for that player. And to Phil's credit, he is the second best player of that generation. And I have said, I think he's arguably a top five player 
ever in the world of golf, and he would have won far more championships had he not had to play against Tiger. Now, maybe you'd say the same against about Palmer. Sure. But, like, to me, Phil is kind of Arnold Palmer. He is the showman of the modern game. He is famous. He's bigger than life. He's all those things. And he is not half of what Tiger Woods is and means to the game of golf. So forever, the championship at Augusta, Tiger coming back from everything he had gone through, sharing that moment with his child, the way that he had shared his first Masters with his dad. That is the best. It will always be the best. Now, if you want to talk about all the rest of them and have a conversation about which is the second best, I think this definitely has a, uh, you know, has a good case for that. However, when I watched the mobbing as they were walking up 18, it felt like a, we saw that at the tour championship with Tiger. It was, that was like, it's like the, you can only have that. The first time is special. Every other time has this feeling of being like a copycat. Plus, Despite Brooks's comments, which I never thought he would have said, there was a feeling watching it live, like, you know, this isn't safe. This isn't safe. Oh, there's Phil stuck, which he was stuck. They had covered, they had surrounded him on all sides. He could not get through to the green at one point. I mean, granted, this lasts like five seconds, but it was kind of like, is this going to be okay? That was my feeling. Whereas, like, when this happened, when Tiger won the Tour Championship, it was like this coronation. Then, of course, Augusta, like, we're basically sitting there in tears watching this guy win a golf tournament. So, I loved it. I think Phil's great for the game. Um, I have no problem with Phil winning. I thought the scene was cool. I thought all of it was great. But it didn't nearly have the pop and circumstances of some of those others. Yeah, I think it was kind of, it was a little top-heavy, too, just with the – Obviously, Phil was it was great seeing Phil win, but there wasn't there wasn't much story outside of outside of that. And I say that now, but now I'm outside of what's become of this Brooks and Bryson uh, rivalry that's that's developed, uh, which is phenomenal for golf. I think that we will get to in a second. Um, there wasn't much outside of Phil Phil at 50 years old winning, which was. We mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. You had to be crazy, had to be an absolute crazy person to think that that Phil Mickelson was going to beat Brooks Kepka on Sunday. And and after the first hole, you were texting all your buddies saying, "You know what? I told you so. Brooks is going to win by five shots because I think they are, he already took the lead or is already tied after one hole." Yeah. So you're just thinking to yourself, "Well, Phil Phil was due for 77 at some point, and then he just he never." He never hit that that one yeah. that one bad shot that one where he really double crosses himself where he really hits it and, you, and it's a it's like a Phil special it's it's a thirty or forty yard offline shot and he never hit it it was it was absolutely it was phenomenal I was I was uh, I watched we were playing Belvedere on Sunday so I watched the first like eight holes on stream and then was able to watch the rest at home and. Every time that you were, like I said, every time you thought that he was going to, here comes Phil, it never happened. So I was, I was blown away by him. Well, the drama was really like you're talking about 
<clears throat> like in Tigers win at Augusta, there was drama because DJ and Brooks were like chasing him down. And we're, uh, had it not been for Brooks Potter letting him down, that, pro- that tournament probably would have gone to a playoff where Tiger may have even lost. In this case, all the drama was very early in the round. Like, it was watching, it was like, here's a two-shot swing, two-shot swing, two-shot swing, two-shot swing. It was like, they were never, they needed to be best ball partners because they were never hitting good shots at the same time, Phil and Brooks. And you're right, Phil hit like a, he hit that terrible tee shot on Saturday, early in the back back nine, he pull-hooked it into the creek or whatever, the swampy area, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And it was a terrible shot. And he recovered. And I think at that moment he decided, or he told himself, if you do that again, you might blow this. So you better die. You know, you better lock it in. That's your one lapse right there. And after that, he missed it on the right, the correct sides. You always have to miss it on the high sides of the fairway on this, on this golf course. But yeah, like Phil, the golf course, you want to be able to hit a really, really reliable driver of the golf ball is what we all talked about with this golf course. And like, you can't be off the fairways. You can't be wild off the tee. You can make up for some shots scrambling, but you know, you have to keep the ball in play. When have you ever heard those characteristics ascribed to a golf course and then have a gambler say, you know who I like? I like Phil Mickelson. I never. So it just came totally out of nowhere, but um, yeah, all the drama was kind of early in the round. And this is two PGAs in a row now where Brooks has faltered on Sunday. So get ready for the Brooks haters to come out and say, he's a fraud. He, the, the, however many majors he's already won three, those weren't real. This happened to Jordan Spieth. So like, surely it'll happen to Brooks. And I just can't wait for that. And I hope that the, I hope that the casino somehow gets sucked into that, so we, we can get some more fifty to ones. Never, I know he didn't win. Mark my words, especially at a PGA or a golf course at seventy eight hundred yards, I'm never scrolling past Brooks Kepka at fifty to one ever again. Because I just spent all weekend kicking myself for not having a ticket. Well, it's a good thing you didn't. I'm sure you would have each way though, so I wouldn't have. I still would have hit. Yeah. Not the whole thing, but um, no, I just lost. And I just touched real quickly on the Brooks thing. I like Brooks. He's 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 great. He's kind of he, like he's got this brand, and I think you're going to get into the Bryson thing, which I've now seen this. No, I like, have Brooks that this morning on Twitter. But what he said after the round, that's bush league. Okay, if you want to say that, say it to the PGA of America privately or say it the next day. You took away from Phil's championship because you were sour. You didn't win. And I'm sorry if that means you'll never come on our podcast, but a lot of people fault you for things for which you don't deserve. But I know the knee surgery thing. I know people have had that procedure. I get the skittishness. I just said, I thought it looked dangerous. You had every right to be pissed off about how that went down, irrespective of how you played, because it was not well-managed. The crowd control did nothing. It was terrible. Even Phil got stuck. But what you say at that moment, that's a different decision. 
And you made a mistake, which I'm sure you probably realize in making those comments. You probably should have waited to say that or said something directly to the PGA of America or, or whoever you thought the offending party was. But you came across in like not a great way. And if I were your PR person and advising you, I would urge you to count to 10 the next time you feel like saying something like that. He has been on a little hot streak. Um, one thing, I, a couple things I'll say about Brooks. I, I do like Brooks. I think he's, I think he's good for the game. I think it's uh, obviously as polar opposites of what you get when you look at uh, a player like Bryson. But I, I fully believe, I mean, Brooks only gets up six weeks a year. So if he, he can't look motivated on a Sunday uh, on one of his six weeks where he feels like he has to play, where he plays his best golf, he says, he, he'd be in the, on the front nine, he looked like he didn't want to be there. And then if he just looked like he somewhat wanted to be there throughout the middle of the round, he could have easily have, have won that golf tournament. Well, uh, he was clearly fighting his swing. Yeah. And actually on the television, on the telecast, they showed him on the range a couple times. And like, even I was watching going, oh, he's not, he doesn't have his best, he doesn't have his best swing because he's hitting it and his swing doesn't look all that sure. And he's kind of watching the ball. And it was like, he might have to really grind this one out today. And I just think, you know how golf is when you're fighting your swing. I mean, he just didn't have his best stuff on that last day. And then that happens when you lack confidence on the greens. And that's what he said after the round was, I just putted bad. And he did. And I think that got into his long game because you, when you can't make, if you can't feel like you're going to make a high percentage of putts inside 10 feet, you keep trying to get it closer, closer, closer. You get more and more aggressive and your swing just isn't the same. So, um, everybody's going to lose. You're going to lose as many as you win on Sundays or whatever. It just felt it's unfortunate for Brooks because, you know, you can you lost to an old guy and you're supposed to be this big, big tournament player. And now this is the second year in a row that you've done this. So I'm just saying, get ready for the Brooks haters to come out and say, he's not really as good as, and you know what? That's just what Brooks needs. If people start saying that, he'll probably win in three weeks at Tory, which is a great fit for him. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he wasn't in the top five. Like no questions asked. As long as long as his knee is uh, holding up. But then the the Bryson the Bryson Brooks stuff. So last night, um, on top of what Brooks said uh, regarding the crowd, which the the crowd was absolutely like. It was terrible. I don't know how they managed to let. I, I'm I'm so okay with all those people being around the green, but you have to have some way of like letting, letting these players and their caddy get through to the green. I mean that's a that's a you need you need the players to to play the golf hole, finish the golf tournament, and they just got lost in the crowd there for a second. So, yeah, I I do agree that he probably took away a little bit of the the spotlight from Phil and, and probably should have weighed a. Uh, a day or two or said something to the PJ of America. But, uh, last night he was being interviewed on the golf channel and he, uh, he was talking to, I want to say it was rich learner and bruh, Bryson walks by on his metal spikes and, and Brooks hears him coming from, I would say 
15 feet away and he just stops talking and he gets like, he gets this really angry, irritated look on his face. <laughs> and after he walks by Brooks, Brooks goes, I just can't, I, I lost my train of thought. I can't listen to that bullshit or something like that. And, uh, so I, and, and this then, was on live television. This was on live television. Yes. Where are they? They're at Kiwas. This was so. They, yeah, it must have been uh, Sunday this night. Sunday. Sunday night. Sunday. Sunday night. And then uh, <laughs> just on top of that, so I think this is really good for golf. I know uh, a little bit of rambling here, but I think this is go good for golf. We need to have these rivals in the game. Um, I think it helps the game flourish. And then on top of that, Bryson. There's a video surfacing this morning of. Uh, Bryson hitting a tee shot uh, during a practice round and uh, a fan yelling, way to go, Brooksy. And Bryson's saying, whoever's saying that needs to get out of here. So they obviously don't like each other because they are polar opposite people. But I do love it. I absolutely love it. I just hope they get paired up. I want I want Bryson to start playing a little better so they can get paired up or both of them to play well in the same week. If they played it in the U.S. Open on Sunday, that would be some absolutely electric television. Yeah, I would think that neither one of them would win because they would no. be so trying to beat the other person in their group that they would forget all about the tournament going on around them and somebody would come up from behind and pass them both. But the takeaway from this, basically, is just that like Brooks hates Bryson. Is that sort of what everyone's saying? I think that would be... I think that's pretty accurate. And actually, I don't... From the, like the interviews I've seen with Bryson, he's a weirdo, but I don't like mind him. He, I think they're all aren't they all kind of like iffy on Bryson? Like does he fit in with the rest of the Ryder Cuppers? I I just think that he just has a different outlook on on how he goes about his whether it be day day activities or I think <laughs> his his golf. Well, we game. know that. Yeah, they're polar opposites off the golf course and in terms of the way they approach the game, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have to hate each other, but it is amusing. Like, did you have any of these like little cheeky rivalries when you were playing like high school golf? No, I, I liked everyone I played with. That'd you be... would. You're so nice. <laughs> you weren't you're not playing against them, Peter. You're playing against the course. Yeah. I always thought that that was terrible advice. Well, Literally just beat everybody else in the tournament. What do you care how what you shoot? Well, when you when you put it like that, but I don't want to go out there and shoot like an eighty-eight and win. Yeah, you do. No, care. If second place, would you rather shoot ninety and get third? No. Yeah, no, exactly. Making right. up hypotheticals now. All right, we might be getting off track here. Did you want to talk about Phil switching to the claw on seventeen on Sunday and how he explained that? When he was like, as he put it, sipping wine, tweeting at people, living the good life, or whatever he said, he's so funny on Twitter. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's any secret that that Phil is a little bit of a mad scientist and and willing to willing to tweak his game, try anything to to get the upper hand. They need him to be a captain's pick for the Ryder Cup, so they have somebody to partner Bryson with. Yeah, I don't know who's gonna draw that straw. Reed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, he would. Uh, so on, and he's probably thinking, "How many times are you going to make me? Do it? How many times are you guys going to make me do this?" Well, Pat, uh, as many as it takes. <laughs> it might it might be a while. 
Uh, so on Sunday, uh, Sunday, he used to play with speed. Now he has to play with Bryce. Yeah. Speed is just waiting for Justin to get on the team. Just back and for him to get on the team. Uh, yeah, they are on the same team, but they suck. Yeah, no. Well, I have, I better, we're going to have a long notes section. I better shut up. Cause I don't even know if that's accurate. I'm not even a hundred percent. I know that Reed and Bryson play together, but I don't know that they play every time. I think they do. Anyway, I just said I was going to shut up, and then I kept talking. So on, uh, so one more thing about Phil Mickelson. Uh, on Sunday, um, on the seventeenth hole, he had what looked to me like a three or four footer, probably. Uh, he had been putting. Um, there are so many different styles of putting, but it was it was somewhat of a traditional putting grip. On the seventeenth hole, he switched to the claw. Just the only putt out of what I what I presume to be somewhere around 120 putts for the week. One putt, he switched his putting grip and went with the claw. His reason for going to the claw was absolutely it was so Phil. Well, this is an exchange on Twitter. This is where ex- this guy just tweets at just about Phil Mickelson. It's Justin Thomas. You you can't quite see that name, but it's Justin Thomas. Oh, it's Justin Thomas. Yes. <laughs> Somehow that makes it even funnier. So I will, I'll read the whole exchange because it is pretty okay. funny. So Justin uh, Justin Thomas tweeted at Phil Mickelson. At Phil Mickelson, used the claw grip on 17 on that short putt. Never seen, never saw him do it before that. Perfect example of it doesn't matter how you get it done, just matters getting it done. Comfort and knowing you can do something in the moment means... So, and then Phil responds, nice catch. The ball rolled onto a low area, and I wanted to launch it higher. Keep in mind, he's using a putter, which I can't imagine has anything more than, like, roughly four degrees. He wanted to launch it higher so it didn't push into the ground and shoot it offline. The claw allows me to angle the shaft vertically and eliminate forward press. So, on the 71st hole of the second major championship of 2021, Phil Mickelson. In the lead. <laughs> didn't want to forward press his putter. So he, he switched up. He went he went to the claw. The claw I mean, made the putt. It's, it's so bizarre, and yet at the same time, it is brilliant. Like, he's correct. Everything he says is correct. So if he wants that ball to come off a little bit higher, he should change his grip. He's never going to be able to put with the same grip and not forward press it. Yeah. So if he wants to hold the shaft vertically, he needs to claw it. Just the fact to me, like he looked so comfortable, you know, like he started fist bumping on like 11 and it was just like, he was just like, I felt like he was just walking up and down the fairways, but two hands over his head, just like there was so much overhead fist bumping. But for him, only with that amount of experience, kind of reminded me of like an older guy winning the British because the course wasn't totally dissimilar, only that you couldn't be short or run it up, you know, like all the greens are raised, so it's not linked golf. But strategy, poise, he's so calm in that moment that he can think, I'd like this to come off the putter a little higher than every other putt I've hit this week so far. So I'm going to switch my grip. Only Phil. 
that's why he needs to be on the Ryder Cup team so he can play with Bryson. Because anybody else would be like, you can do what? We're on the second to last hole, dude. This is it. Just knock it in. He's like, no, no. This requires a different approach. Yeah. Phil and I aren't too different because I switch my putter grips all the time too, but it's not, not for nearly. Are you sure you're not thinking about not it? Not for nearly the same reason. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I guess should we recap our should we recap our gambling? Yeah, uh, I'll go first. It was bad. It was pretty, <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, I'm ba- I'm off of outrights uh, indefinitely for for <laughs> for a, quite a long time. Minus you I do, already I, have one this week. Minus the one outright I do have, which is Charlie Hoffman this week at forty two to one. If Peter, if forty two, forty oh yeah, forty two. Fanduel, Fanduel, Fanduel special, Michigan Fanduel. If Peter text me on Monday afternoon telling me to find a pick, I'm going to find that pick and I'm going to bet it. So that's exactly what happened. But outside of that, I am so done with outrights. You just, I, I I went into Sunday and I'm looking at my tickets and I go, well, there's a loser. There's a loser. Like they were just, because they were so far out of it. Um, and even this if they weren't out of you it. Need bank, you need bankroll management and a strategy and not just, it's a major ethical throw down some extra coin on some outrights and hope they hit. You had you only hit like a good year. You might hit like six or eight. A bad year, you you're gonna hit like two to four. I would say a bad year. A bad year, you're gonna hit zero. You better <laughs> not hit zero. You should try something else. <laughs> uh, only the only shining moment um, this week, and I can't even think of who it was now. I want to say who was our, Oh, Keegan Bradley. I had Keegan Bradley at top 30. So that I, one ticket. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see at the Charles Schwab. So that's actually one more comment. Uh, that's two over oh, two on majors this year. Uh, gonna have to try some new, a new strategy. For the U.S. Open here in three weeks because the, well, the Masters Decky won the Masters and Phil won the PGA. Everybody's over two. I mean, if you had Hideki or Phil, you probably have your own podcast. You're not I, listening to this one. I'm not thinking about our rights here. I'm thinking about finishing positions. <laughs> okay, well, you should have hit some finishing positions at Augusta. I had like. I wound up behind, but not nothing terrible. I will tell you that Christian Bezudenhoit, like he saved my bacon. Huge. I'm just watching him on Sunday, and I'm like, I don't root against anybody. I don't know Christian. I wish he would, for his sake, he would have played better. But he helped me so much with the way that he played and the scores in general. But then I'm, I had the sweats. From the beginning, when I turned it on, when I was making breakfast, watching featured groups, because I needed to hit top 40s, and I had a few different guys in play for each ways. And I thought maybe Sungjae would play okay. And like if he could post four or five under, that we might get in to sneak into a playoff or something and have a shot at a 65-1 ticket, which of course he did not do. I almost texted you. I almost texted you on Sunday. That looked minus five. Looked like the number. I and I, I think I said that. I said that to my friends on when they were like halfway through the back nine. That 
if Louis could have made that putt on 16, that par five, and gotten it to five, and then just rolled in one more to really scare the shit out of Phil, that could have been huge. Louis really, he could have, he was, he, I mean, he probably is saying to himself, I should have won. Oh, 100. Oh, my God. He His missed, putter really let him down over the week. He weekend. missed so many putts. It was, but, and he was, and, on, on Sunday, the holes that I saw, he was scaring. Scaring with Jesus out of the hole. I just couldn't, nothing would go in. Yeah, it didn't really look like he was hitting bad putts, but he did miss a lot of them to the right, mm-hmm. which was interesting. I wonder if that's like his nervous miss or something. He never looks nervous. No, God. No. His swing is so good. Um, yeah, Bazudenhoy backed up to a tie for 30th, which brought Neiman into a top 30, brought Webb into a top 30. So I hit almost all my top 30s except for Matt Wallace. Who I bet he was like the guy I loved. I bet him outright top 40, top 30. That's all <clears throat> was gone. And then Coke Rack really fell apart on Sunday, which hurt me to finish outside the top 40. But I still hit the Matt Jones, still hit the Keegan. And then Shane Lowry had a great Sunday, hit an each way. It's a freaking $4 ticket that paid out almost 40 bucks on an 80 to 1 outright. So that kind of helped save my week. And keep me in the game for this week because I am really, really that tournament probably is about as difficult as you're going to get from a gambling side that and open championships, I think. The Colonial is the opposite. It's This is the second longest running venue on tour after Augusta. So we play here every year. Okay. They may call it different stuff. It was called the Dean and DeLuca, I think, or something for a while. Does oh, that yeah. ring a bell? Yep. Yep. It does. Um, but we know what kind of players do well here. We know everything we need to know about the golf course, which is that it's a par 70. So you want to look at par four scoring. It's 7,200 yards. So it's not exactly short. Um, old style, kind of tree lined. Um, Berger won here in the most recent edition, which if you remember, this was the first tournament back after the COVID break. The field was incredible. I think it was like the seventh strongest field or something like that that we had all year last year because everybody was chopping at the bit to play. Um, And Berger emerged from that field. Before that, Kevin now won in 2019. He's a Definite horse for course here. Justin Rose also fits that description. He won in 2018. He obviously had a great Sunday at the PGA. I expect him to be hugely popular in betting markets and on DraftKings this week. Your boy, Kevin Kisner, won in 2017 by one over Jordan Spieth, who was the defending champion that year because he had won the previous year in 16. So even though... None of those guys are bombers. You do see bombers pop here. Like Brooks, Rom, and Bryson have all played well here in the past. Um, Brooks, I think, has a second place. And, like, Finau tends to play well here. So, like, you can still gain um, strokes off the tee. Is like, an indicator of success here. But it's not, like, wide open spray it. It's more of, like, a total driving similar in in many ways to what we saw at Kiowa in terms of the kind of player that it's going to favor. 
Um, what else about the golf course? Uh, I do think it's really nice that for the first time in three weeks, we actually we have a course that's a regular on tour, so we can we can use we have a little bit more history to back it up. We were when well, we were at Byron Nelson at that at that new course two weeks ago, and then Kiowa outside of the what 2012 PJ the 2012. And this course is not uh, easy. The winning score range is typically like low to mid teens, though it did get all the way up to 20 under uh, one year. That was the year that Rose won, I think. But like this course is not easy. It, it, it challenges the players. Um, so in terms of who we want to target on this kind of a venue, well, I would look. This is a this is a, one of the courses on tour where history will bear itself out. It's kind of like heritage. So these are these events are a little, in my opinion, easier to bet. If you can find guys who have good history and are in good form, I think you need to highlight them on your bet sheet and think about, you know, perhaps wagering on them. I also think guys who are in great form and hit the ball really, really straight and don't make big numbers, avoid bogeys, don't make doubles, are not wild. Um we'll have a really good chance here to hit some finishing position type of bets because, you know, you're six, seven, eight under or something like that over four days, you're probably going to be <clears throat> in or really close to the, you know, top 30, top 25. So, um, interesting, as, uh, interesting stat. I saw <clears throat> reading last night that, uh, it looks like the average, you need to play this course about six times. Play the Colonial about six times is the average time it takes for the to get your first win here. So experience does matter, um, maybe more so than on uh, other golf courses. So keep keep that in mind when when looking at. Yeah, the I noticed our buddy Rob Bolton over at PGA Tour was really hammering that point home, huh? He sure he was. Really thinks that history on Colonial will bear itself out this week more than more than form. So let me tell you my first pick, because <laughs> I like I like Matt Wallace in his second appearance here at, here at Colonial, uh, for for reasons reasons being, uh, his form is is really sensational right now. Uh, since he he's solo third in San Antonio, he's six for six on cuts with four top twenty fives. He is plus one five five to top thirty. I I'm back back to finish positions and I, I really like this one um ryan palmer is another one that i really like he is the exact opposite of matt wallace he has played in this event 18 times has never won here but he is a member at colonial if you are a member at a golf course that's playing on the tour you better be able to finish top 30 ryan so for that reason i like him a lot at plus 150 to top 30 and then we mentioned it uh, just a little bit ago. Um, I am off outright minus Charlie Hoffman forty-two to one this week, but I also have a finishing position on Charlie. Uh, top thirty is even money right now. Charlie Hoffman played some really solid golf at the PGA Championship. He kept it around. Uh, he loves golf in Texas. I really, really like him to got a little shiver up my spine that he's going to win this week. 
but I do like him. Even money to top 30 seems seems pretty crazy to me. Yeah, and I got plus 175 to top 20. Oh, I like that too. So which I also, which I also took, and I also like Ryan Palmer. I like te- experienced guys who play well in Texas and are in good form. Palmer is not quite in as good a form as Charlie, but I like that's a good number for a top thirty, and he has good history in those eighteen appearances here on his home course. Um, I immediately bet Charlie Hoffman forty to one. I thought that that number was too high. I thought that he should have been priced down by uh, Scheffler around the 28 area. So, and if he doesn't get bet down from 40, which he hasn't yet, I will be surprised. And that will make me even more bullish on uh, Charlie Hoffman. He barely lost his speed at Valero. His ball striking let him down. I I wanted to uh, play him the week before when we were also in Texas, but he took a week off, played great at Kiowa, which, you know, is windy and therefore suits his game, but otherwise requires a lot, you know, a lot of scrambling and like Charlie's ready to win. Okay. He went through some, a tough stretch, but he is playing great golf right now. I see, you know, like I might even go top 10, top 20, top 30 for Charlie. This week, I don't want to totally overexpose myself on one player, but there are a small group of players on whom I am quite bullish this week. The other one is Scotty Scheffler. I don't care what Rob Bolton says, but I don't care that you had to play here an average of six times before you won the first time. Scotty Scheffler just tied for eighth at the PGA. You barely even heard about him. This kid is exactly the kind of player who would buck a trend like that, who would break a streak like that. He's in Texas. Again, he went to Texas. I don't know what his history like is on this golf course. I don't care. His form is phenomenal. The winning score here is only going to be somewhere between probably 13 and 17 under par. I think if he's playing good golf, he can get near that number on almost any golf course. So I love him this week, and I think the 28 where I got him is very, very fair. Um, The other player who I really, really like this week to win, but whom I could not bet because I thought the number was far too short, is Abraham Answer. And again, he's played here a few times. I think he certainly hasn't played here six times. I don't care. He's in terrific form. He's exactly the kind of guy, player that I was talking about that I liked last week that I think carries over to this week, which is doesn't miss fairways. He's above average length. He's a solid iron player, hits a ton of greens, and he really only needs maybe one or two days to get hot with the putter, which he clearly did on Sunday at Kiowa. So is he going to carry that into uh, – this week, I see no reason why he should not on a golf course that I think suits his game perfectly. He's been in great form for over a year, hasn't quite paid it off. Um, really close. I think it was Heritage last year. I I I, I don't like sixteen to one, but I also saw saw minus one ten to top twenty, which I do like and like quite a bit. So I think that's. Really interesting. The other guy that I'm looking at for finishing position 
is Neiman. I saw plus 125 to top 20. I would rather top bet a top 30, but I also think he's in tremendous form. He plays well on classic tree line style golf courses. He is one of the game's best drivers. Uh, he hits it long and straight, emphasis on the straight, and I see him hitting a lot of greens this week and definitely being able to get, you know, near 10 under with sort of decent play. And if he can bump into a hot putter one day or two, um, I could see him hoisting the trophy on Sunday. So that's the group of players that I'm most interested in. I also will be looking at the following players a little bit farther down for finishing position, Kevin nah, when the top 30s and top 40s come out because of the history, I will be looking at him. I think Joel Damon is in good form and continues to be un- underpriced. He was 100 to 1, I saw, for this event, so I expect some pretty decent top 40 numbers on him. Ian Poulter plays well in Texas and on tree-line type designs, and I think Matt Kuchar has regained just enough form to, uh, you know, start showing up on leaderboards again and consistently making cuts. And this is a golf course where he's had some success in the past and should suit his game. So if I can get a decent number on guys like Kucher, Poulter, Damon, and Nah uh, in the top 40 range, those would be a few more of the names that I'll be looking at this week. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to lay, I think outside of those, those four picks, I'll probably lay low this week for the most part because we do have Red Jack's place next week. And then we were talking yesterday. There's some – I don't even feel kind of embarrassed to say. I, don't, I have no idea. The Palmetto Championships in South Carolina between the Memorial and the U.S. Open, which I'm sure will be highly attended prior to the U.S. Open. Uh, that's coming up in two weeks. So we kind of have a – which it is a really good field and a really good golf course. And then obviously the Memorial, which is a top seven golf tournament of the year. And then maybe a, a slow week and then Harding Park. So I want to touch Harding Park. Isn't that why? Tory Pines? Oh, Harding Park. I'm thinking PJ still. Last yeah. Year's PJ. Yeah. Um, that course looked amazing on TV too, by the way. I'm going to play there really badly. I mentioned – while we're on the gambling stuff, and I know it's gone really long today, but I mentioned I would touch on the Corn Ferry because I played at the Glen Club. This is north side of Chicago. It's a Parkland-style course. It used to be a naval air base. So Tom Fazio sort of built this out of nothing on flat ground. It's fairly generous off the tee. There are some kind of blind tee shots. Um, there's prairie grass that runs through the property. There's a few ponds, some streams. Scheffler won here the last time they were here, I think two years ago. It might have been three years. Um, 17 under was the number. I think they're going to eclipse that this year. The golf course is in phenomenal shape. The biggest defense is the greens, which are really fast. They can get 12 and higher. So I think this is really going to favor ball strikers and middling type of putters, which would probably not be a totally unfair characterization of Scotty Scheffler. Um, And I think guys who are in really good form and hit it great off the tee are going to be able to push this thing into the teens and maybe a little bit better. Now, granted, I think anybody can play well here. You do not have to be long to play well here and make lots of birdies. 
I just think it's hard to make a ton of putts. So like there's a couple drivable par fours. The par fives are scorable, including the first hole. And um, <clears throat> I think it's the fourth hole or maybe, no, it's the fifth hole, excuse me, on the front. You will see a few Eagles. I really like Nick Hardy. I think I mentioned him a few weeks ago. I had bet him before. Um, I think he's from Illinois too, right? He's from Northbrook. So Northbrook is actually not far at all um, from the Glen Club. He played at University of Illinois. This guy has a lot of talent. He just had a good week last week at the Advent Health. Um, I like Nick Hardy. I Like I said, I haven't seen the numbers come out, so I haven't had a chance to bet it. I do suspect he will be among the favorites. He'll probably be one of the guys in the you know top five shortest odds. <clears throat> but if you want action on Corn Ferry, you're here in Chicago and you're going to go watch or something, he's going to have crowds. Like, I think it would be fun to throw down five or ten on him this week, and I do think he's in good enough form to have a good chance. Some guys don't react well to playing, quote-unquote, home events. Other guys really embrace it and enjoy it. Um, I think he's got a great shot this week. Overall, did you like the golf course? You ever played it before? You have, I'm assuming you have played it before. This is my second time playing there. It's not like the rest of Chicago golf. So they did a good job of, we don't have a lot of Parkland golf, meaning open rolling terrain, limited tree cover. There's trees out there, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good. There's a lot of dog legs. There's a lot of mix of holes in terms of, there's a couple par fours where you got to hit two good shots into the green, and then there's some where you can, you know, get it on or up by the green off the tee. So I think they'll move tees around this week um, to make a couple of the par fours drivable. Um, decent set, decent set of threes. All the threes play in different directions, which is always good and I think important to to do that on a on a golf course. So you're obviously talking about a great a great designer, and he made something that was kind of playable and could have public access on the north side. So. In my opinion, it's – I mean, I really like the golf course, and the greens are phenomenal, which we've talked about in the past. Like, you got to have good greens, and this place hits it out of the park on the greens. I just think these guys, you're going to see some – course record 63. I think Scheffler actually shot that in the final round. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody shot 62 this year of the course record. What's the – how far can they tip it out? Um – you know what? I don't know. We played at about 69. Okay. My guess is it's in the 72, 73 range, par 72. It's the challenge is up at the, like, you're not going to make a bunch of 20 footers. Yeah. The greens are kind of hard to read. And some of them have really substantial break. You can also get in trouble when you short side yourself. So you will see a couple doubles here and there, but this kind of golf course where if you make a double, it's probably because you made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. But um, Nick Hardy, Nick Hardy on the corn, Charlie Hoffman on the on the big tour. Yeah, and I uh, like we said earlier, uh, we'll plan on having uh, whether it be a standalone episode sometime this week or next week. Uh, we will have Tim Pierce, who was uh, one of only two Michigan uh, club professionals to play in the PGA Championship this year. So. Uh, 
obviously really excited to have him on the podcast, talk about his experience, uh, what he took from the week, all that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. Thanks for setting that up. Yeah, no problem. So we'll, uh, good luck at the at Colonial. Yeah, you too. All right.